This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. The podcast is also available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and the iHeartRadio website and app. On this week's show, we're going to be catching up with the Western Bulldogs VFLW captain, Michaela Ward, who's currently up in the Northern Territory. She was playing through the summer with the Nightcliff Tigers. Also on the way, Joanne Meradian from Paris, who's going to be talking about the Galea Cup being played this Saturday and the open opening round of the Western European Women's League. Also on the way, Ant Wingard looking at round one of the Queensland Australian Football League Women's Competition. Alison Schiller is back to look at round three of the Sandful Women's Competition. We've got our sided question of the week and then Coach Kiwi's kiss of death. But first, the latest women's footy news. We begin by taking a look back at AFLW Round 4 for those that may have been hiding under a rock somewhere over the weekend. In the Friday Twilight game at Marvel Stadium, Melbourne 7-4-46, knocked off Collingwood 4-2-26. Here's the D's coach, Mick Stenier. It was only a week ago, but we went away from what we've been training and playing as a team. And part of that was St Kilda's intensity. But, um, yeah, I think it was the first time we sort of just drifted away from what we've been working on last week. So it was good. We were just able to realign earlier in the week um, and there, yeah, the girls stuck to the plan tonight and, and they got rewarded for it so yeah, I, I thought the most pleasing thing was just consistency of effort for four quarters. A high scoring game up in Bendigo at the QEO where Geelong 10-7-67 got their first win of the year, defeating Richmond 7-3-45. Here's the Cats coach Paul Hood. We're only a pretty new team too. Like We've got no reason to think that we're better than anyone that we play against and we totally understand that we need to bring our absolute best effort in attack and defence each week to be able to compete with the opposition and it doesn't matter the colour of the jumper that the other team's wearing. It's all about how hard we go and um, that we give the best account of ourselves every single time we play. That, that's footy at every level. In an entertaining game at Arden Street Oval, the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos 6-11-47 defeated the Gold Coast Suns 5-4-34. Here's Roos coach Scott Gowans. Yeah, the four points was the, the goal for the game, so we got the four points. Um, doesn't matter how you get it, but oh, credit to the Gold Coast. I thought they were terrific. They, their pressure around the footy and um, ability to spread from the contest was, um, was first class, and yeah, they should be very proud where they, where they sit in the competition and they'll give a lot of sides a lot of trouble. So uh, at the end of the day, I think for us it was, yeah, if we take the four points and, um, and I still reflect back to last year when similarly Fremantle um, got hold of us in a similar fashion last year, but today we were able to withstand it and, um, yeah, I was pretty pleased with the result. In a thriller at Leaderville Oval, the West Coast Eagles got their first ever AFLW win. 4-6-30, defeating the Western Bulldogs 3-8-26. His Eagles coach, Lou Dwyer. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great feeling to, to get our first win um, for the football club uh, on a few fronts, I think, in terms of uh, reward for effort for the players, um, the, the staff and, and, and obviously the coaching group and... Um, yeah, really proud of the way the girls um, fought it out today. You know, all full credit to Western Bulldogs. They, they kept coming and, you know, it took to the last 
minute of the game really to to get it um, to get over the line. But um, I'm immensely proud of, of everyone who's been involved with the squad, um, and you know the playing group today were um, were huge. In the grand final rematch, Carlton got revenge. 5-6-36, defeating the Adelaide Crows 4-4-28. Speaking on Fox footy after the game is Madison Presparkas. No, it's really good. Um, we wanted to obviously come over here and um, show them what we've been working on throughout the whole pre-season. And I think, yeah, it really showed off today. But no, it's awesome to get a win on the road. But let alone, um, I mean, the heartbreak that we felt last year um, was very disappointing. But um, yeah, I mean, just one back in the books. But yeah. Again, Fremantle used the get-out-of-jail card to hang on and beat St Kilda by one point at Moorabbin. 3-6-24 to 3-5-23. Here's Trent Cooper. Two weeks in a row that we've uh, somebody's got out of jail. We played good enough to win today and just missed a lot of opportunities. Uh, but full credit to St Kilda, they just fought the whole day and made it really difficult for us to play our style of football. But, uh, yeah, just relieved to, to get there in the end. And the Brisbane Lions easily did away with the GWS Giants at Hickey Park. The Lions 7-9-51 defeated the Giants 3-5-23. Speaking after the match is Cathy Spark. You know, the girls are so excited and to come off, you know, last week with a bit of a draw, I think we're just been so pumped to get the four quarters, really consistent and get the win today. To some injury news out of round four of the AFLW and All-Australian defender Ash Brazel ruptured her ACL on Friday night and will be out for a year, as well as teammate Georgia Gourlay, who ruptured her ACL at training on Wednesday night. Ruby Slicer is also out with a fractured left wrist, so three serious injuries there for the Magpies. At St Kilda, it's been confirmed that 19-year-old Tani White has ruptured her left ACL, while Kate McCarthy has suffered damage to her MCL in her knee. To this week's NAB AFLW Rising Star nominations and Carlton's Grace Egan and last year's number one pick, Gabby Newton from the Western Bulldogs have been named as this week's nominees. Heading to the Northern Territory where the grand final participants have been decided. Waratah 5-7-37 defeated Pint 4-5-29 in their semi-final from the Waratah Football Club. Here's Madeline Galt. Um, we decided we needed to slow down, compose after, you know, they had a really good second quarter. We needed to come back out, slow things down, um, shut down their, their, um, their plays. Uh, yeah, and I think, I think we got there, put lots of pressure in, and, yeah, we got over the line, thank goodness. <laughs> and in the other semi-final, the Southern District's Crocs, 6-4-40, defeated the Darwin Buffets, 5-4-34. From the Crocs, is Ebony Miller. Um, it was a really tough game from the very beginning. Um, we felt like we sort of got the jump on them a bit early, but they came back really quickly and um, levelled the scores. Um, and then it was just really anybody's game all day. Um, it definitely came down to the last minute and um, everybody across the field, both teams played their heart out today. The NTFL Women's Premier League Grand Final is this Saturday, the 7th of March, 4.30pm local time or 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings time. That game being streamed live via the AFL NTV YouTube page. Heading overseas now and the AFL Islands Women's Competition has had to postpone its university. Cup that was meant to be played last weekend due to Storm George. Uh, they're looking to reschedule the event for Sunday the 15th of March. And in Paris this weekend will be the Galia Cup and also the opening round of the Western European Australian Football Women's League. Three teams are participating. Paris, Amsterdam, 
and the Rhineland Lions. And our featured guest for this week on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival is the captain of the Western Bulldogs in the VFLW. She's currently in the top end where she's been playing with the Nightcliff Tigers. A great season from them. Normally solid dwellers managing to make the finals for the first time. It's great to have on the line Michaela Ward. Michaela, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Peter. How are you? I'm feeling a bit surreal because the last time we spoke to you, September, cool conditions in Melbourne, you're about to go into a VFLW grand final. Six months later, you're up tanning in the top end. <laughs> yeah, I am. It's beautiful sun up here. I, I encourage it for anyone to get up here. We'll talk a little bit about in a moment how you got up to the top end, but let's first of all talk about your sporting career. Now, I believe you only took up footy around about 2017. Prior to that, you were playing netball in the Geelong area, such as uh, Werribee Centrals, Amos, and Newtown and Chilwell. Yeah, I have. You've done your homework. It's certainly where I came from, playing in the country netball footy for a while there. But yeah, I've been three years in the footy system now, and I'm loving every minute. Now, was it yourself that took the initiative to play women's football or did your sister, Aisha Ward, convince you to join the Spurs? Aisha tried to get me there in 2016 when she was there, but I didn't have as much courage as her to cross over. So I waited and then I bit the bullet yeah, in 2017 and it was just a text message. I said, hey, can I come down? I didn't even do the preseason that year in 2017 and got straight into it. That's not too bad at all. As we know, footy runs through the family, obviously, with your brother, Callan. And as you said, Aisha as well was picked up by Essendon. But for yourself personally, how did you find the transition from netball into Aussie rules? Yeah, it was pretty tough. I, I, as I said, I've only been in three years. And being a 30-year-old when I crossed over, I think the conditioning of my body struggled initially. And I had a couple of early injuries. But in terms of the skill of the game, um, because I grew up playing, you know, street footy with my brother and my dad and my sisters, I crossed over to the skill component fairly well because I can kick a footy and I can take an all right mark, I'd like to think. But, yeah, it was more the transition to the fitness and the different running because obviously netball is very um, agility-focused and short-sharp, whereas the footy I had to make a 50-metre lead rather than a short five-metre. For those that play country league netball, they're no slouches, they're fairly fit, but can you give us an insight into the amount of training that you had to do per week for football compared to netball? Yeah, it's all in the kilometres, really. For netball, you'd be covering between probably a four, five, six kilometre in your game and training, as I said, short, sharp sprints um, and drills, whereas footy... I think you cover. You could cover probably seven to ten in a game at like your local level, even. So, conditioning the body at trainings you have to do to be able to play the game. So it was a big step up, uh, crossing over. So you managed to play with the VU Western Spurs, playing out of Henry Turner Reserve. What was your first feelings coming into um, the 2017 season? Because a couple of years prior, the Spurs were going through a bit of a down period. They, they, they had some uh, bad seasons where they were beaten, and in one year they didn't even score a win when they were known as the Norbans. They just relocated into Footscray. How was the atmosphere coming into the club then? The atmosphere was still pretty upbeat because um, they focused a lot on the development and getting a lot of the new girls into the club. I mean, we're going into 2020 and I think they're pushing four senior teams. So they've been working a long time. Like people like Debbie Lee and Carolyn Kilmartin, who have been at that club a few years now, 
are always focused on the future. So the numbers are there and the enthusiasm is really good to keep going. And, I mean, they were successful. The Division One team won the grand final in the NFL last year. So there's always something to look forward to. You're playing along quite a number of stars in that Spurs side when you first joined in 2016. I mean, I'll rattle off some names such as uh, Melbourne footballers uh, Ainsley Camp and uh, Alicia Newman, uh, obviously uh, Bulldogs teammates there, and Angelica Gokos and uh, Ashley Guest, former uh, Collingwood footballer Bree White. Also in the side, Elise Gamble, Harriet Cordner. Uh, I can also rattle off names such as Lawrence and Serek, who was a you know, veteran in the competition, uh, Naomi Ferris at the Bulldogs, Sarah Jolly who spent time at Melbourne, Shelley Scott still at Melbourne Sarah Lampard, so certainly no slouches in the team that you were playing with No goodness once you reel off the list there, there really was and I was so new to the game when I went down to the Spurs I wouldn't have even known who they were or, or how long they'd been playing footy but the standard straight away was something I was like, yeah this is what I want to do and that's what I want to aspire to and to have those girls around the club as you mentioned uh, Guesty, Newey, um, and Lawrence and Sarah, who's been at the club for so long, um, they set the standard early days and it's the calibre of the players that are coming through these local clubs, such as the Spurs, that are now showcasing their talent at AFL women's level, it's, it's really inspiring to see. When you come into the squad, you're a forward. So, and, and I'm interested that this predicament happens at a number of clubs when you've got two similar players trying to play a similar role. Um, how do you try and get that confidence to stand up and be a leader and be a target when uh, you're playing a very similar role to what Jess Frankie was playing uh, deep forward? Yeah, and Frankie's, Frankie's a legend. But I also had Alyssa Mixed there yeah, as well, yeah, who was obviously yeah. in the AFL women's system. But it only pushes you to work harder. Um, and and everyone has their strengths and weaknesses, and obviously there's where well, there was six positions down there. So you've just got to fight and train well, and everyone gets around you whether you're playing in the division one or division two. Um, but I think yeah, I was able to forge myself into that starting lineup at Div One, um, probably more so because I had the confidence to take a mark. I think that's what they saw in me to be able to do, and and fortunately for me, I yeah I got myself in that team and I was able to play through that season. It's through 2017 to 2018. This is when the transition happened where the Spurs had this kind of semi-merger happening with the Bulldogs where the number one Spurs team would then be branded as the Western Bulldogs and train more of the Bulldogs facilities compared to the rest of the Spurs who would play in the Northern Football League. Um, can you talk yep. about, I mean, as we see the name change, can you talk about what happens behind the scenes and, and what differences you notice as you become from Spurs to Bulldogs? I think what they tried to do, and especially, and, and credit to where credit's due with Debbie Lee and her team, they really tried to keep it away from the players uh, with the merge uh, in regards to the administrative components of it and behind the scenes. They didn't want to affect, obviously, training and they didn't want to affect performance on game days. Um, so the transition was pretty smooth, really. And because we had so many players who have been at the Spurs for a number of years, uh, it felt quite at home transitioning into the Bulldogs anyway. Um, and now the system that they've set up with the VFL program down there, it's a great opportunity for the Spurs girls now to be looked at um, to go straight in through the Bulldog system. What did it mean for you personally when the playing group wanted you as captain? Uh, that was pretty cool, yeah, at the Bulldogs. I mean, I pride myself... Um, 
as a person who likes to naturally lead. Um, I was a leader all throughout my netball career. So when I came to footy, I was a little bit nervous and, and timid to showcase those leadership skills because I didn't really have the football knowledge or awareness in terms of playing. Um, but I think it's hard to stop those. You don't want to switch those leadership skills off. So I, as the more I played, the more confident I got in the game. Um, and, yeah, fortunately, again, the girls obviously noticed that. And, and I was really humbled to be voted by my playing group last year to, to, to be that person for them. Um, and I enjoyed that challenge and that experience last year. And as you mentioned before, we made it through the final series. So it was kudos to the whole squad that worked hard last year. It was a great effort to get there because the one thing is, as we talked about in that uh, press conference when we interviewed you, unlike uh, perhaps the Premiers who did rely on a bit of their top-end AFLW talent, for yourselves, your best six or seven AFLW players were barely seen all season. Yeah, what they try and do, obviously, through these programs is they need to manage the loads of their AFL women's girls. And for us as a club, the focus really is on our player development for the girls who haven't been drafted yet. Um, and that was the focus uh, for the whole team. And we were all aware of that going into the year. So we had, I think, seven or so girls that were drafted from our VFL program. And they showcased their skills throughout the season, but also were able to do that in the grand final. So it was a real team effort. And the AFL women's girls, whether they were playing or not, were down there every week to support training and, and to really guide us through the season to be successful. As we know, through that finals campaign, you beat Richmond at an absolute thriller, and there seemed to be this little bit of a rivalry building now between the Bulldogs and Tigers, which is fantastic to see. Um, In that, that's where you did bruise your knee and you had to sit out the semi-final. What, can Mm -hmm. you give us an insight to the role that you were playing behind the scenes when obviously you knew that you couldn't be out there for that semi against the Pies? Yeah, individually, that was a really tough time for me, especially considering... The MRI actually didn't showcase a major injury. It was really just significant trauma to my knee. But unfortunately, I didn't play and I had to make sure that for the team, I was still that optimistic uh, and enthusiastic player amongst the squad. Um, And given, as you mentioned as well, we had such skill level across a number of players rather than key position players, a few of the others were given that opportunity to step up. Uh, I know I mentioned um, Guesty and Brooke Lachlan captained um, the Collingwood final, so they were able to guide the players in that way. Um, but for me personally, I just had to be around the team as if I was going out there. Um, it allowed me as well to speak more on the coaching component and and communicate with them what was going on, help with running some drills, giving feedback to our forward coach, Roe, and, and supporting her with developing the girls. Um, but, yeah, I had to take that mini step back and allow um, Taylor Danuccio and Guesty and Brooke Lachlan to step up. And and that's all right because that day they got the win and got us into the grand final. So they didn't even need me that day. <laughs> you managed to make it through the grand final, which was a terrific effort. Uh, unfortunately, the, the, the chocolates didn't go your way. It was, it was the pies that would take out the flag in the end. Can you, yeah. give, can you give us an insight in, in, in what it is into the feeling in the rooms afterwards, not only obviously the devastation of the loss, but for a number of you, it was the last time that we're going to play together again because a handful, obviously, were going into the draft and we're going to get picked off by other clubs. Yeah, it was tough uh, and, and was devastating, as you said. 
it was quite emotional. Um, and personally, I was emotional because I didn't feel like even I had my best game um, and couldn't contribute to the team the way I had so previously in the season. So we were emotional and we reflected on the day. Um, Collingwood were a great side that day. They really had us from the get-go. They're a strong side. They're a very structured side. And we just weren't able to put our best game together that day, unfortunately. Um, but what we also did was reflected on the season that we had and going into that season with really no expectations considering the merge was so fresh, um, we were proud um, and really enjoyed the season that we had together. And it was sad because you have players like Sophie Molan who I absolutely loved running around with and Ella Wood, and then they're off. They're off to Richmond now and, and good on them because they can continue their AFL women's career. But it really was, it was tough because we weren't going to ever play together again. And, and Mua, she's killing it at Carlton. So, yeah, we were we were sad, but we were really proud of the season we had and the games that we put together. Can I put to you those four names and how you think they're performing over at AFLW level? Sophie Molan and Ella Wood gone to the Tigers. Mua Lalofi, who always seems to be in the best at uh, Carlton, and Ali Gavalis at North Melbourne, Tasmania. Oh, Ali Gavalis, she's an absolute jet. I'm so proud of how she's um, doing things. I mean, she was selected from round one. Um, so as soon as she went into that training at North Melbourne into the preseason, I was hearing good things about how she was doing. And the thing with her especially is that she's so fresh to the game from soccer that she's so willing to learn. And that's what some of the coaches really love about these younger players crossing over from other sports. So, yeah, she's killing it. Mua, I mean, she dominated with us. She's got so much confidence and is able to read the play that she's giving herself that bit of freedom to run around and bring her natural skills to the game. Um, and, yeah, Ella Wood just having her first game, Sophie Molan, their passion for footy, they've gone through the junior ranks, so they're able to really bring their skills and their development into the AFL women. So I, they're doing great things. I'm so proud of them. Let me pose this thought to you. Was Taylor Danuccio stiff not to get taken in the AFLW draft, considering she led the competition in tackles? I know. I think one of the weeks she got like uh, broke the record for the amount of tackles in one game. Uh, she was stiff, but um, as we said, everyone has their strengths and weaknesses, and she's really worked hard on some of the, the feedback that obviously is constructive. Um throughout our exit interviews and she's going to come back firing again this year to be even better than she was last year Um, and hopefully she's even doing more than just tackling for us and she becomes that player that has the confidence to be kicking goals or to be running down the wing or whatever it is that the role that we needed to play this year. One question before we talk about NTs we said your sister is at Essendon was there any attempts by Asia to say come across we're the red and black? (laughs) Well, I also grew up a very uh, passionate bomber. I bleed red and black. So it was tough initially when um, the merge happened with Spurs and Bulldogs because I was a bit like, oh, do I want to play for the Bulldogs? Uh, but no, Aisha isn't actually playing anymore. She's just the operations manager there. So she's still trying to get me across. But yeah, she did try, but it wasn't ever going to happen. Once I'm at a club, I... I was really thankful for that opportunity and, and I didn't want to be crossing to a second club, especially when I'm so new to the game. And as I tell listeners, don't be surprised to see any American talent at the Essendon Bombers uh, in the future as uh, one Aisha Ward was spotted in Florida at the USA <laughs> Nationals. But that's a story for another day. 
Yeah. Let's talk about the move to the NT. Um, when did that come about and why the desire to go up and play football in Darwin? So it was pretty random initially. About midway through last year, um, I was thinking about where kind of life was going and I've been a teacher at the same school for nearly six years and I just thought I needed to change it up. Uh, and I love the heat and I'd only really recently heard about the NTFL. I had no previous knowledge for that and I just looked into it. Mum, actually, my mum flew up with me in August to meet a few people and have a look at the city and it kind of all happened really quickly after that. Like word travels fast up here and a couple found out that I was looking at playing football and one person called another person and yeah, I was here. So I moved up straight away, mid-October, I think I came up. Can you talk about what it is trying to set up life in Darwin and I guess uh, put everything on hold in Melbourne for six months? It actually happened really easily, fortunately for me. Um, Once I made the call, I just had to embrace the challenges that I was going to be faced with. And Darwin previously never being, everyone is very welcoming, very inviting and um, just want you to enjoy your time up here. So I met a couple of people through my tour at the Michael Long Centre up at um, Marara Stadium at TIO and yeah, they just made a couple of calls. I trained with a couple of clubs and once I could make the decision about work, um, and fortunately as I said, I'm a teacher so I was able to get a contract for Term 4, the football just kind of happened and I made the call based on pretty much the coach. Um, Shannon Miller at Nightcliff was doing amazing things and I thought, you know what, I would need something different. My feedback through my VFL experience, one of my weaknesses was obviously um, the fitness. So I thought if I could run in the heat up here in Darwin, then I could run in the cold in Melbourne. So that was pretty much my big aim. Let's talk about going to the Nightcliff Tigers because, as we said earlier, they were the cellar dwellers and finally they made it through to the finals for the first time this season. And it's a side that when you look through, it's not stacked with the big-name players. Quite a number of the other sides, we think of Darwin Buffett, we think of Southern Districts or Waratah, have got a number of uh, former NT Thunder players. Uh, the only big name that sticks out to me from uh, the Nightcliff Tigers was Chantal miskin Rapia, who played for um, the NT Thunder and the VFLW. So it's been been an extraordinary effort to have a side of essentially no big names gel together and take a few big scalps along the way. The most famous one, I think, was taking off the Darwin Buffett. Yeah, the Darwin Buffett, that was a tough one. Um, we also actually have beaten both Waratahs and the Southern Districts who are playing in the grand final this week. So, unfortunately, we just didn't beat them in the right game. Um, but, yeah, as you said, there's no um, major key players or big names in the team, but that's what's so enjoyable as well because... Everyone is able to share the load. Um, and Chantal, um, Risk and Rippiers have a massive season for us this year. But we've also been able to sculpt Eliza Morrison over from the bus. Um, and we've got a great ruckman in Emma Wolsey who are able to step up um, in the positions that we needed them to be. Eliza Morrison's actually trialling with the doggies and trying to get herself down into the VFL. But yeah, going from what I thought was offensive, calling us the cellar dwellers, but it also brings a lot of pride supporting a club that only won two games last season to be able to make finals. We finished fifth this year and unfortunately bowed out in the first final, but the club has been really proud of the development that we've able to be put together in this team. And as I said, Shannon Miller's doing 
she's the heart and soul of the rebuild of this club and we can only go up from here and we'd be really pushing to try and make top three in the 2021 season. You were mentioning about Eliza Morrison coming down to trial with the Dogs. Has that been uh, a semi-unofficial role for you up there in Darwin, acting as uh, a pseudo-recruiter for the Doggies and seeing and putting the feelers out if there's anyone interested coming down to Victoria and if they're any good to let's just have a trial in the red, white and blue? <laughs> I actually just joked to Michael Sandry, the recruitment manager at the Doggies the other day, about perhaps he needs an assistant that's based up in Darwin and I could just start looking at juniors and send them his way, but um, it is something that I have a passion about is to develop the game and I'm looking at even trying to get into the coaching side of things as well to try and bring my skills to the girls up here because they love it. The sport up here, everyone lives for it and without some of the opportunities like Melbourne offer or in Victoria, um, it's hard for them to see that the purpose of them playing through in the Women's Premier League. Um, but yeah, as I said, the junior development doing great things and I'd love to be that person that can kind of send them Bulldogs way. If it's going to help the team, I'm all for it. As I mentioned earlier about Americans, particularly with your sister that was over in Florida, you've had American <laughs> come to you. Not only did you play with Danielle Marshall uh, in the VFLW and she's doing great things at AFLW level, but there's another one you're playing with, <laughs> nicknamed Dusty yep. out of the Sacramento Suns, <laughs> Rosie Clough. <laughs> Yeah, Rosie Chloe, she's a good egg. Um, and she got dusty. The first game she played, she just fended off this player with no thought whatsoever except to get her out of the way. Um, and she didn't even know who Dusty was. So we were all, all rolling our eyes going, oh, my goodness, how could you not? Um, but, nah, Dusty stuck for the whole year. And, yeah, she's been kicking goals. She's just left us last week, actually, after our season to head down to be training with Weemstown BFL. Um, and looking for her opportunities to build her game um, down in Melbourne for the VFL season as well. For yourself, you ended up playing uh, 10 games uh, in the best seven times for 11 goals until the shoulder injury. Can can you talk us through what happened? I wish it didn't happen, uh, but I was actually not even worried too much about the pain. Obviously, it's a broken bone, but I think... What really hit me is that I was starting to find some good form. I was enjoying playing in the heat because the first few games, obviously the transition to the humidity and the, the heat up here was tough. Um, but I'd be really been working hard in my pre-season for the doggies and my running. And unfortunately, yeah, it was a tackle uh, in about round 14 in January that I just landed on my shoulder. And I think my shoulder had nowhere to go because obviously I'd broken my collarbone previously. So, yeah, that was unfortunate. But you take the good with the bad in footy and there's no guarantees. Um, But, yeah, as I mentioned, it was just a tough hit because I was enjoying my footy. I was running well. I'd actually been starting to push into the midfield a bit and try and get around the ball. But, yeah, I broke the collarbone and I just had surgery three weeks ago. So we're just on the rehab recovery road now, ready for hopefully round one. And the sling has been an important accessory for Silly Saturday that I've seen online. So um, <laughs> it helps carry a few drinks along the way. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. We'll, 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 
We'll look ahead now to the NTFL Grand Final because you've, you've had the opportunity to play against these sides, but also to sit in the commentary box during semi-final day. Uh, you were there to call both games at TIO Stadium and did very well in that role. What do you like out, you. out of this Waratah versus Southern Districts Grand Final that we have this Saturday twilight in Darwin? Yeah, it's going to be a huge day. These uh, obviously finished one versus two, so they've already played each other in um, a final a couple of weeks ago with the win going to Southern Districts. And Districts have actually won both home and away games. So the Waratahs, considering they have played, or they've won, sorry, seven of the last nine grand finals up in the Premier League, they're going in as the underdogs. So it's going to be a really interesting matchup. Um, but yeah, we, as I said, Nightcliff lost once to both of them and beat them once. So in terms of this weekend, Ebony Miller has a huge job. She's the league's leading goal kicker. Um, so she's going to have to come out firing and ready to go. But I think if I had to tip someone, I'd be going Southern Districts um, just with the confidence to break Waratah's streak um, because everyone's close on their tail now and everyone's stepping up to the plate with the benchmark that Waratahs have set. So... It's going to be a big one. They've got a lot of talent there at Southern Districts. We talk about Grace Mulverhill, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Ebony Miller. Also on the side, some uh, familiar names, including Taylor Thornton. Who, uh, Tyler Thornton, uh, you've got Charlie Deegan in the side as well. Letitia Jeffrey, um, and Talia Holtz. They've all played uh, for the NT Thunder. So they're certainly stacked with some talent. But as we said, Waratah have won a number of flags, just dominated the years of the NTFL Women's League, particularly in the early years. Um, if I look at some of their better players, Amy Chittick, who of course uh, played uh, representative football with Melbourne in the early exhibition games. Uh, they've got the NT Thunder captain in Lisa Roberts in there as well. So they're no pushover. The uh, the, the powerhouse that is Waratah. Yeah, I totally agree. It's um, it's a huge matchup. I mean, the Waratahs on the weekend, like the the skill alone, but also the experience that Lisa Roberts brings to her game kind of got them over the line against Pint on the weekend, who were very fresh to the final series. Um, and Amy Chittick, so young and enthusiastic to just get out there and run a mark. Um, and the, the development of these girls too, like you look at um, Taylor Thorne, who's now in the Gold Coast system, and, and Jasmine Hewitt, who's at Pint, who's also in the Gold Coast system, the skill is getting better and these players are able to, to bring that experience to the younger girls coming through. But it's going to be a very good matchup this weekend. But I think Crocs probably have a few bigger bodies in their team that will have the strength to get over the experienced task side. So after that, you come on back to Melbourne. How keen are you and uh, how do you rate your odds to be ready for Saturday, May 9? It's only two months away now when uh, the Bulldogs run out there in the VFLW again, taking on Darabin at uh, VU Witten Oval. Yeah, Darabin first up. That'd be interesting. We've actually lost a play from the dogs who've gone over to Darabin, so it's going to be a, a big round one match for us. But May 9... Is actually a day off my three months, which the surgeon has cleared me at three months. So I'm taking that that my aim is round one to be back for. So I'm really excited to get back with the squad that we have. Um, and being up here, it's been really tough to be away from the group and to to gel with them and get to know them and, and to lead them as well because we haven't obviously voted for our leadership for the 2020 season. 
Um, but from what I'm seeing online and I'm trying to keep in touch with the girls and the coaching staff as much as I can, that when I do come back mid to late April that I will hopefully slide right into the squad um, where we pick, uh, left last year and hopefully pick it up straight away. Yeah, but my aim certainly is for round one. If I needed to be more realistic, I probably should say round three, but we'll go with May 9. Um, and, yeah, we're going to hopefully come out firing like we did in 2019 and win the first four. All I can say is if you do wait a week until round two, you've got uh, the arch rivals in Richmond. So that's a, <laughs> that, that'll be one to uh, test out the shoulder a little. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to be breaking any more bones, so I'd like to have that run around in round one first, certainly. <laughs> well, Michaela, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. Again, congratulations for making the grand final last year. Let's hope that you can go one better in season 2020, and who knows, perhaps maybe one day running around in the AFLW. Thanks so much, Peter. We'll be doing everything we can to do so. And as Michaelia spoke about earlier, the NTFL Women's Premier League Grand Final is this Saturday, the 7th of March. You can stream it via the AFL NTV YouTube page, 4.30pm Darwin time, which means 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings time. Check it out, Waratah versus Southern Districts, a rematch of last year's Grand Final. Still to come, we're going to be talking about the Galea Cup. And it's the first round of the Western European Australian Football Women's League. Joanne Meradian talks us through that after this. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. And now on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast here on RSN Carnival, it's time to head overseas towards France. The Galea Cup is on again, but this time it's now the opening round of the new Western European Australian Football Women's League. And joining us on the line is Joanne Meradian to tell us all about it. Joanne, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, Peter, for having me. Great to have you on the line. We noticed a slight accent. Tell us about your background and where you grew up. Yeah, so I'm Canadian. Um, I was actually born in England. I moved to Canada when I was five. And my dad is Canadian. My mum's Australian. So then I moved to Australia when I was 24. And now I'm in Paris. So how did life take you to Paris? Um, well, I'd lived in Australia for 10 years and I loved it, um, everything about it, but I always had this kind of desire to, uh, experience a bit of culture, a bit of history, a bit of fashion. And I learned French in Canada, so I wanted to practice my French. So I just decided that I was going to move to Paris. So now you find yourself in Paris organising a women's football competition. Now, we need to step back a moment. Where was your first involvement in Australian rules football? Well, funnily enough, when I first arrived in Melbourne, um, my very first job was at the AFL, and I was a graphic designer. I knew nothing about the AFL. Uh, I didn't even realise what it was when I went to the interview. 
Um, but I got hired. And so at, in that moment, I was involved in working on the footy record and learning all about AFL. And uh, I worked there for five years. And then I started, I moved to Sydney after that. I started playing soccer. And uh, I played, I, I learned a bit about the, the women's league in Sydney. I played one game and loved it. I thought it was fabulous. And then when I moved to Paris, I had a contact who were, who uh, played at the club, they called the, the Paris, which were called the Paris, Paris Cox now. And, uh, and he uh, invited me to come and I, I went to training and I, I never looked back. I just stayed at training and uh, have started helping build the, the women's team because there's a lot of men. It's a huge, you know, there's, there's a lot of men in the club, but not very many women. So I kind of had this uh, desire to help build the women's team. And now we're, now I'm organizing um, the Gallia Cup as well. So <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of all, all happened. Yeah. Now, of course, we've known some uh, names to come out of uh, the Paris side. Of course, uh, most famously, Colleen Decay, yeah. who, of course, is playing uh, at West Brunswick here in Melbourne after she trialled with the Essendon VFLW. Of course, we've spoken in the past to Berenger Portel, who, of course, uh, also yeah. plays at Paris and has represented yeah. France at the Euro Cup and, of course, yeah. need we say, the uh, Anzac Cup. So a few famous names yeah. there. Uh, how has the side been building up over the years and the numbers on the women's side there at Paris to become closer and closer to 18 aside because we know it's typically nine aside football over there. It is, it is. And I think we'll probably at this stage always stay nine aside because of the, the field. We just can't get the, the fields that we, you know, the size of a, of a normal um, footy field. Uh, so I think for now it'll probably stay nine aside, especially in, in, in Europe. Um, well, in Paris, well, in France, um, to be honest, it's not the easiest thing because, you know, we're trying to attract French girls and sport is not very common in France um, for, for women um, as it would be as in Canada or, or France or um, Australia. So um, it, has been, it hasn't been easy um, because, uh, yeah, for that very reason, it's a contact sport. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it sort of happens slowly. But, you know, this year... Um, well, I kind of really wanted to push, uh, push it, and and I think I just did a little bit more um, social media posts, and then when it, when people come, you know, like I'm I'm very much for me, like the reason why I'm in the club, I guess, is really a lot of it is is to build a community, and and for me because I'm here on my own, it's it's to have that friendship group, so I'm motivated to 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 kind of build that team spirit. So whenever anyone comes to training, I'm super enthusiastic and, you know, messaging them, encouraging them and everything. So I think this approach is, has been the way that we've pulled people in because a lot of people are there for, to play sport, but they also have a lot of other, you know, reasons. Um, I think a lot of people, like basically the club is a combination of football, but also that sense of community and um, people, you know, playing and training together. So it's, it's, they're really coming for those two reasons. Before we talk about the new okay. WEWL, um, let's talk about the yeah. Galea Cup. It's been around for a couple of years. Can you tell us about the history of the tournament? Yeah, well, it was founded um, in, um, I think it was 2015. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, it, it was basically founded to encourage uh, women's football because we don't because we don't have a league. There's not a women's league in France. We just wanted to create opportunities to play. So the cup was kind of the, the perfect opportunity to play. And uh, the idea is just to be all inclusive and, and just give women, you know, the opportunity to play in a tournament. Um, and also that it's 100% female, which is a bit unique because mo- all the tournaments that we play in Europe are – are you know they're they're AFL European tournaments and they're they're men and women teams participating. So let's talk about the WEWL because we know that there are uh, women's leagues in Europe. Obviously, running around for a number of years has been the AFL London Women's yeah. League, which has been massive. They've yeah. up a league now around yeah. Scotland. We've had the National Universities yeah. League. Uh, AFL Island Women's have their various leagues of seven aside. We've seen this uh, last year, pardon me, the start-up of the AFL Germany Women's Competition. So what led to the, yeah. the, the chat behind the Western European Australian Football Women's League? to get up and running yeah well i mean that the credit really goes to lisa wilson who um is a well she's she's played in both both leagues in the in the london league and then also now she's she's living in germany but i think it was really like she was really the initiator of the whole um idea and she just approached us and said look i want to create a league where we have more opportunities to play exactly the same reason for the gallia just giving us opportunities to play there's not enough women to, to create a competition in our countries. So we have to combine and, and create these sort of leagues. And um, yeah, I mean, she, she had the idea. She's, you know, talked to us about it. We're like, that's awesome. Go for it. And then, um, and now it's happening. And our very first round is on Saturday. Um, and there's three, there's three teams in this league. So Paris, Cologne and Amsterdam. And yeah, we've got all full teams and we're super excited. There's going to be three rounds this year. So this, the Gallia is the very first round. Then we'll have another round in May and another one in June. And uh, most likely a finals after that. So yeah. Can you tell That's us? It, yeah. Can you tell us just to give us an idea on the map, particularly for those that may have not have been across to Europe, what the travel is like <laughs> to be able to get from Paris to Amsterdam and Cologne to be able to get your <laughs> yeah. games in? Oh God. Okay. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I believe Cologne is about five hours away, and Amsterdam is four hours away. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, we, uh, you know, it, it, Europe is small. It's not like Australia. <laughs> um, so it's actually not that bad. You can do it in a day. The Cologne girls are coming down Saturday morning and leaving Saturday night. So, um, even for financial reasons, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to do that. You know, team building, we love to be able to spend the weekend and, and do an act, do, you know, spend the weekend as a team together. But, um, we also have the option. It can just be done in a day. So it's, it's, and this is part of the reason why we stuck with this sort of small, these three teams to start off with because of location and just making it accessible for everyone. Uh, there's, there's potential for it to grow, of course, but I think we just, this year we keep it, uh, you know, step by step, make sure we're solid in this, in this. And then, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, the idea is just to keep growing the, the sport. So, um, we'll just, Keep doing that. Before we talk about that growth, I believe for the Galia Cup, you're also inviting players to partake uh, from the south of France and also from Prague. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, we, I mean, the, the thing is, we're sort of combining two things because the Gallia Cup has been, this is the third year, um, and that is open to everyone. Anyone who wants to participate, it's open. And even if you don't have a team, you can come. So, because really the whole point of the Gallia is to give female players um, the opportunity to play and, and learn. And it's probably geared towards more the introduction newbies. It's not going to be players who, I mean, of course, you know, the, the teams from London are welcome, but the idea is to give the girls who don't play very often the opportunity to play. So we open it up and then, you know, you know, some of the girls come in and they say, oh yeah, I really want to play. Um, and we're going to actually bring that, those girls in and they're just going to join um, the other team. So the Prague girls are going to join the Amsterdam team and the South of France girls are going to join uh, the Paris team. And uh, I mean, for now it, it's going it's, to, it's, you know, it's this sort of mix match kind of idea. Um, but obviously the idea is that eventually those girls will have their own teams, but we just, we'll, we will never say no to them. If they want to play footy and they want to come to Paris, I mean, they're always welcome. So, you talk about the potential expansion of the Western European Women's League. Um, what are the cities or, or countries that you're hoping that you can expand into in the future? And I mean, obviously, for example, in France, of course, there's been talk about possibly the women's team out of Bordeaux. Um, where, where, yeah. do you, where do you see that potential expansion happening? Um, yeah, well, I guess there is potential in in Bordeaux for sure because there's you know there's a real great team developing there. There's numerous players. Um, and, uh, really, I don't know. Um, maybe other teams in Germany, um, you know, there's, there's various European teams, but we haven't, um, to be honest, we're sort of focusing so much on this, (laughs) organizing this, um, we haven't really talked about that. Who knows what the future holds, but it's a bright future, as we said. It all begins this Saturday, the 7th of March in Paris. And just by luck, if anyone is listening and they know a friend that's obviously backpacking over in Europe at the moment, and, hey, they should get along to it, where is the game or the tournament, should I say, for the Galea Cup being held at this Saturday if they want to get along? Okay, so it's um, it's Parc de Renouillère in Antony. And uh, it's an easy, you just catch the RER and you get off at Quai de Bernie. And I think you posted the, the details actually with the map on your, on your link, um, Peter, so they can, they can always go to that as well. Um, yes, yeah, so it's just outside of Paris. Um, it officially starts at 11 a.m. Uh, and um, if they want to catch, there's a, there's a men's match um, happening before at nine. So if, uh, if they want to catch that, they can first. But the official Gallia opens on uh, at 11. And, um, yeah, there's going to be Bouvet, and hopefully the weather will be good. So <laughs> we can't control that. But, um, yeah, and they'll come watch some, some good games of footy. And, of course, they can find that link again at twitter.com forward slash WARF radio or facebook.com forward slash WARF radio. Well, Joanne, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best with the opening round of the Galea Cup and the Western European Australian Football Women's League. Thank you so much. 
And now here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival, we take a look at the QAFLW for the first time in 2020 with round-by-round scores because, yes, the season has already kicked off and we're only into the third month of the year. And it's great to have on the line from AFL Queensland, Ant Wingard. Ant, how are you? I'm, I'm excited footy's back. So, yeah, it's good to have footy uh, back starting in Queensland a bit earlier this year, but, you know, it's, the games are on the weekend, the girls are pumped. It, it, it's a good time of year. And before we talk all things QAFLW, uh, must be very happy up there in Queensland with not only the lines flying along at the moment, but the Gold Coast Suns, one win, one draw, and they've been pushing sides. Yeah, it's been a fun couple of weeks up here um, with both of our AFLW teams obviously doing pretty well. And it's nice to see um, the teams doing well, obviously, but especially considering a lot of the talent has kind of come from the state league competition. And um, obviously that means a lot of people um, and kind of media pundits, you know, find it hard to gauge and, that's when, you know, teams like the Lions and Suns get written off in the preseason. So to see them doing well out in the field and, um, you know, getting quite a few wins and if not winning, then, you know, putting in pretty commendable performances, it really is great to see. It's, it's a fun time. Our Q Clash a couple of weeks ago was, it was really something else. And obviously the connections between, uh, the two, the two teams and the players and the coaches, that kind of thing, I think. You know the rivalry is already building between the two, the two AFLW clubs up here. And you talk about the local Queensland talent. I think it was from the Chewy Boot video Instagram account where they put up the stat. I believe it's eighty percent of the Brisbane list is Queenslanders, and seventy percent of the Suns list are Queenslanders. Oh wow! I didn't, I didn't realise the percentage was that high. If I'm honest, but like I think that really just it shows how strong women's football is up here and. Um, I think people don't really understand that, but Queensland, you know, even going back years before AFLW when it was the old, you know, national championship, um, like we've, we've always been strong in the women's space and to kind of see that reflected, um, on the scoreboard and in the squads themselves and with the talent coming through, you know, it, it really does paint that, that really positive picture for us. Let's have a look back at round one of the QAFLW competition for 2020. It was a Gold Coast rivalry to kick off the season on Saturday. Bond University playing host to Coolangatta Tweed. It was the Bluebirds who got the chocolates in a thriller by five points and in a very emotional game for them. Yeah, it it was a cracker of a contest and um, obviously it was a bit emotional uh, for the Bluebirds. It was... Um, you know, there was lots of storylines across the Quaffle W uh, this week. And, you know, talk about Yoronga in a second. But for Cooley, I know Lauren James, um, who kicked the winning goal with literally the last kick of the game, um, you know, she was really close um, to the, the person that, that had passed. And, you know, to see them get the win, you know, that's, you know, it, it's just, it really does warm your heart. And obviously Lauren... Um, has been just one of the founding uh, members and players of Cool and Gutter um, when they first came about. So to see her uh, in such a big game, in a big moment, kick the winning goal. You know, she was excited. The cameraman couldn't even keep, keep up with her in the vision. And um, she, she took her headgear off and chucked it and everyone ran to her and gave her a big hug. Um, so, you know, obviously for Cooley to get their season off um, with, a, with a win over Bond University, who they haven't, 
beaten, they've only beaten one, uh, the Blue, the Bull Sharks once since Bond actually came into the Quaffle W. Um, you, you know, that's, that paints a positive. Um, and obviously we know the talent that Bond has. So to get a win for Coolangatta, I don't think they could be much happier. And of course, uh, the person that we sp- uh, speak of that passed away was Bluebird stalwart uh, Fiona Stevenson, uh, who uh, tragically passed from cancer late in 2019. As we look ahead to the second game, uh, we look at Yoronga South Brisbane and Cooperoo that you were talking about. Uh, 11-3-69, the Devils. Cooperoo, uh, 7-12-54, an important win there for the Devils. It, it was an important win uh, for the Devils. And, almost the, the old firm derby of the, the Quaffle W, you know, if you, if you think about it that way. And um, obviously... You know, Cooper were missing. They only had eight players from their grand final winning side last year, but a lot of the quality was still there in the side. You know, Jade Ellinger was playing Hannah Hillman uh, through the middle of the ground in the ruck. You know, there were still some big names for the Kings, and it was really, really a close contest. Um, almost uh, an arm wrestle right up until three-quarter time, and Yoronga, just in that final term, were able to, um, you know, to kick away in the end and, um, they have, they looked very, very good, Yoronga, and they've brought in a host of new players. Um, you know, Lucy Bellinger played her first game, obviously, she's on the Lions list, um, and Kit Two and Lexia Edwards, who's, um, come up as well from Glenelg in the Sandford W. She, um, she was, you know, her influence inside 50 was enormous. She had two goals as well. Um, you know, so for Yoronga to, to get, a win over Cooperu and, you know, what was their the start of their premiership defence was really encouraging for them. And, you know, these two teams, there's lots of friendships there, but you talk to some of the players and the coaches and, you know, when these two teams play, they definitely want to win. So Yoronga will be very, very happy. Let's go across to the home of the Gorillas. Uh, Wilston Grange, uh, 4-3-27, defeating uh, UQ Red Lions, 2-4-16. Now, this game was... It was a bit of an arm wrestle, you know, it was a bit more low scoring, a bit less uh, free-flowing through the middle of the ground. But, you know, it was Wilson Grange, who was probably the underdogs coming into into the contest almost. Now, they kicked away uh, to an early lead and that was almost too much for uh, UQ to um, kind of claw back. And, you know, they slowly found their way into the contest. But um, I think Wilson Grange with their you know, really good press from defence were able to kind of just restrict the red lines and, um, you know, keep keep them under wraps. And uh, both teams, are, they were feeling quite young sides in the games, but um, it was those youngsters from Wilson Grange, a lot of, you know, Brisbane Lions Academy players coming through, Imogen Stackelberg, uh, she was really good, that, that really helped and lifted Wilson Grange to a, a win that was uh, probably... Like I wrote it um, before the game, probably the, the closest contest um, of the round, considering uh, neither side, I know Bree McFarlane played uh, for Wilston Grange, but she was just about the only AFLW player to play um, across both teams. And, you know, both teams have, oh, you know, over half a dozen AFL listed players on their book. So, you know, it was really up to that next wave to come through. And, you know, luckily those players for Grange, uh, you know, played their role and, and they came away with the win. And what a statement made by Maruchidor. An away game for them and they won 8-8-56 against the Absolute Hornets, just the one behind. 
Yeah, and it's even more surprising considering, um, you know, Marucha are a bit like uh, Wilson Grange and UQ. Um, minimal, if any, AFLW players playing for them. And, um, you know, it was really those players, without selling the team short, it was, you know, Kate Sermon, uh, Lily Postlethwaite in the back end of last year, Shannon Campbell, um, you know, in 2019, they were the ones that really lifted Maroochydore to be really the big improvers of the competition. And, you know, they obviously didn't have those names with them against Astley on the weekend. And Astley are, are quite a young side, but, you know, Maroochydore just dominated the contest. Um, and it was kind of the way that they went about it that was so impressive of a win. Obviously, they restricted Astley to just the one point, but... You know, Chloe Gregory, who played, you know, as a small forward for most of last year, um, she was playing pretty much as an out-and-out midfielder, rested forward, but uh, she played in the mids for the whole game and went forward, kicked two goals. Ash Hales, um, who's been pretty much their rock in defence going back, you know, almost four years. She's playing inside 50. She kicked two goals as well. So it was a really different setup, and obviously um, it, it, it paid dividends, uh, you know, in their first game of the season. So, you know, Maruchador are extremely happy under, you know, Steve Moody, Steve Moody, sorry, um, in his first game coaching the team. So let's have a look ahead to round two. All games being played on the Saturday. We first of all begin at the home of the Coolangatta Tweed Bluebirds, Exum Oval. They're playing host the Apsley Hornets. It looks like the Bluebirds could be going 2-0 up early. I think you might be right there, Peter. And I think that that's just what Nicole Graves would have wanted. Um, a really good start from Coolangatta there. And I know we've only had uh, one round of competition, but Coolangatta... Um, really do loom as a dark horse this season. I think they've brought in quite a few good players and um, with the Suns now, um, you know, they've reaped the benefits of that with, you know, Sally Riley was excellent for them against Bonds. Um, they've got some really good AFLW players in their squad as well. So um, around too much up with Astley is probably pleasing for Cool and Gatter. They went 2-0 and last year uh, as well over the opening two rounds, but uh, injuries took their toll um, in the back end of the season. So hopefully this time around, if they get the win and start 2-0 and again, then you know things can pan out a little bit better for them uh, throughout the remainder of the season. At uh, Leishon Park, Yoronga South Brisbane playing host to Wilston Grange, both sides coming off a victory. Yeah, you know, and that, it, a round one victory is always good. And um, <laughs> I suppose you get a chance to double that in round two. And I think Yoronga might just have the class um, and, and the quality around the field to, to deal with Wilston Grange, um, who might get a few names back. Um, but I, I, I just really think the talent that, that Wilston Grange, uh, so that the Rungas brought in, um, even apart from their AFLW contingent, they brought in a few girls uh, from the lower divisions, um, Kedron, a team in Brisbane North. Um, they've got three players, Sophie Anderson, um, she's come across a really tall, athletic, uh, mobile player. She played really well against Cooperu. Um, so Yoronga are really looking good, and um, I just can't really see a way that Wilson Granger, you know, have enough to beat them on the scoreboard. So I'll, you know, I think Yoronga will probably get the win there. At Bond University, it's the battle of the unis with the Bull Sharks playing host to the Red Lions. Yeah, and it's always an interesting contest with when Bond and UQ play each other because 
both teams, you know, obviously being university kind of based clubs, there's an obvious similarity there. But even the way that they play um, out on the field is quite similar. But, you know, I think Bond um, have a chance to respond from that, you know, last minute loss to Coolangatta in round one. Obviously, that doesn't mean, you know, good things for UQ who start the season uh, 0 and 2. But, you know, that's not to really rule them out of a chance. They, you know, they could could well uh, pit Bond. But I think Bond almost, if Bond win, it could be a big, a big win. But if, if UQ win, um, then it might be, you know, by a, a single figure margin. So I think just the class of Bond, again, it will, will be too much for, for UQ this weekend. And at Maroochydore, the Roos play host the Cooparoo Kings. Uh, an opportunity for Maroochydore to try and go 2-0 up and try and get the better of Cooparoo while they don't have their AFLW talent. Yeah, it's, this is probably the game of the round for mine. I think it's such an even contest. Um, you know, obviously, I think on paper, Cooparoo have a, a really, really strong team. Uh, but Maroochydore's form in round one suggests, you know, they're coming in uh, with a wet sail of form as well. Um, and obviously, you know, Maroochydore, their best season ever last year, made the finals, first week of finals. Cooparoo knocked them out at home. So, you know, it's a chance for Maroochydore to get a little bit back um, as well and, and start the season 2-0. and And um, like you said, a lot of AFLW players are out for, for Cooparoo and they started slowly last year. I remember they lost to Aspley, uh in the first round of last season. So things can turn around. But, um, you know, I think it's hard to, to kind of pick who's going to get up here. I think there's um, there's obviously a lot of stake. At, um, but it, I find it, it, it could go either way, really. I'm, I'm really not too sure. Well, and thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. We look forward to your company next week when we take a look back at round two of the QAFLW. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. And joining us now on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival, all the way from South Australia to take a look back at round three of the Sanford Women's Competition. It's great to have on the line for the Two Crows Podcast, Alison Schiller. Ali, how are you? Oh, I'm fantabulous, except for a scratchy throat that is about as wonky as a, let's say, a centipede of arthritis. But apart from that, I'm doing well, Peter. <laughs> Love the analogy. Let's begin by having a look at what happened on Saturday morning down at Ex Convenience Oval, and what a big win for the Bays. Glenelg, 8-12-60 to Central District, one four ten. Absolutely, a trouncing of 50 points there, so... But- as I was still saying, even with the accuracy of a hippo with vertigo, the Tigers absolutely destroyed the Doggies in a fantastic win for the Tigers. The Tigers were more than happy to have Caitlin Gould back from AFLW duties. She had eight shots on goal and converting four of them. Tigers outclassed the Dogs across the board, though. Uh, they started well, kept it going, gained their first win, believe it or not, considering the scoreline for the season. While for the Dogs... Their only goal came in the third quarter and what would have been a very disappointing effort there. The goals were now good with four, Speechley, Tunnan, Moon and Armitage singles. And as per usual for the Bulldogs, Caitlin Rosenswice sitting there a bit lonely with a single there. For the team stats, all barring the rebound 50s, it was pretty much a clean sweep by the Glenelg. The notables being handball differential of 36, sorry, 63 to 36. Hit outs 34 to 14, inside 50s. A whopping 36 to 18, if you don't mind. 
the best looking out there, obviously Gould's going to be right up there. 17 disposals, four goals, four tackles and four clearances. Smith, Cone, Armitage and Freeman are also up there for me. For the Bulldogs, usual suspects, Sonneman, straight up there. Smith and Quinn also are for the best. Tigers get their first and well-deserved win. But with a standout performance by Gould, she could be missing next week if she gets a call up to the Crows. The Bulldogs will lick their wounds, but they lick their wounds. Sorry, but they can't afford any more big losses, as they currently have the lowest percentage in the league, and only one win separates them from the bottom of the ladder. The second game on Saturday saw North Adelaide six six forty two double West Adelaide score three three twenty one. Yeah, twenty one and twenty one. It was the difference exactly half and half there. The Rooster Express keeps rolling on, keeping the Bloods even scoreless in the first quarter. And it took until the second for the Bloods to get one up on the board. Uh, they even got a couple of late goals in the final. But overall, let's be honest, it was a comfortable win to North Adelaide. Ash Woodland is loving life. Kick another three this week in another dominant performance. There was also a notable mention of a nice left foot snap from Caitlin Pope. Hardwick and Elsgood for Westies were the only goal getters there. All business from the Roosters. The goals there, Woodland three, McKendrick, Pope and Reynolds one. For the West, Elsgood two and Hardwick a single there. Notable team stats for North Adelaide, 162 to 129. Uh, Hamble was 108 to 72. March 54 to 30. Tackles at 53 to 32. For the Westies, naturally rebound 50s are going to be up there, but they're also very close with hitouts and clearances, which is a little bit surprising there. The best for North, obviously Woodland gets up there with their three goals, 22 disposals, seven marks and two clearances. Tynan, Gorsi, and an honourable mention to Hannah Ewing with eight tackles. The best from the West, Venning, 26 disposals, supported there with Ballard and Martin also. The steam train pulled into the station, picked up two points and some percentage, while the Bloods were left on the platform. A top two clash is calling the Roosters, while the Bloods take on the Redlegs, who are desperate for another win this season. The Eagles had their wings clipped by the Double Blues. Woodville West Torrens 4-4-28 going down to Sturt 5-6-36. Yeah, eight-point winners there to Sturt. Congratulations there. But after my big pump-up for the Eagles last week and my challenge to Sturt, the Double Blues were the only ones that listened. Uh, they took the lead in the first quarter and even with a goalless quarter from both sides in the final, Sturt got their first win for the season, leaving the Eagles languishing on the bottom of the ladder still hunting for their first W for 2020. The Sturt co-captains Bevan and Ridger were instrumental. Prowse, who is an AFLW Academy player, had 16 hit-outs, 4 clearances, 14 disposals, and kicked a great goal after a strong mark 25 out. For the Eagles, AFLW player Jamie Tad kicked free in an impressive, impressive display, and she tried to get the Eagles their first win of the season, but it wasn't meant to be. She was actually supported there by Steph Walker, who was right in there switching in the midfield with Tad. Goals for Sturt, Ballard 2, Brown, Lattice and Prowse singles, Eagles tab 3 and Lee 1. The best for Sturt, Bevan, Rigter and Prowse. And I'd like to see some other names start appearing in there uh, for Sturt as well because Bevan and Rigter get in there every week. For the Eagles, Tab Walker and Alan and Ma also battle really hard. Team stats, Sturt kicks 141 to 112, marks 49 to 22, hit out 31-13. The biggest differential there inside 50s, a whopping 39 to 16. Eagles, uh, handballs, disposal efficiency, tackles, they outdid them there 69 to 51. Uh, accuracy, 
50 to 45, clearances 25 to 21, rebounds 33 to 12. And unfortunately, things don't get any easier for the Eagles as they play for the Tigers this week. But the Tigers only secured their first win this week and they could be without standout player Caitlin Gould if the Crows come a-calling. Sturt will take on the Bulldogs, who will be looking to add a lot more bite back to their bark this week. And under the Saturday Night Lights, South Adelaide 9-2-56 defeated the Redlegs 4-2-26. Yeah, the Redlegs did finally hear my call for accuracy in front of the big six, but so did the Panthers. With only four points kicked for the entire game, the downside for Norwood was that South kicked nine goals, so therefore... There was also a good spread of goal kickers for each team, except for Kirk, who added another four goals to her impressive tally this year. South are what you would have called, I'd probably call an almost complete outfit. Winners across each line, not afraid to handball, efficient with conversions from their forward entries. Bennett, Kavoris, Meyer and Charlton were all doing what they do best. For Norwood, Xander and Haypenny worked and battled hard all day, but they needed more support. For the goals for South, Kirk for four, and uh, get out the butcher's knife, because I'm just about to attack a few names here. Ritsky, Nihilus, Bennett and Meyer with singles. For Norwood, Hall, Hopney, Hill and Smith, all singles. For the team's stats for South, disposals 261 to 119. 199, sorry. Handballs 122 to 65. So that's where they like it in their game going, the Panthers, getting the spread out and then shooting it in forward. Disposal efficiency 74% if you don't mind. Tackles 57 to 40. And rebound 50s, which is quite surprising for the team that's winning. Usually the team that loses is usually up on rebound 50s. But for Norwood, Mark, hitouts, clearances, inside 50s, 37 to 24. So a little bit disappointing there, Norwood not making the best use of the ball. The best for South, Charlton. 24 disposals, 6 tackles and 5 inside 50s. Meyer, Kavora, Pat and Berry, each with 8 tackles. Uh, the Panthers are on the prowl and the Redlegs find themselves in unfamiliar territory at the bottom half of the ladder. Also for the Redlegs there, just to make mention, Xander, Hapenny, Martin and Cutting were the best for them. Well, that concludes our look back at round three of the Sanford Women's Competition. Um, I won't get your tips for this week uh, here, Ali, because simply there is no <laughs> football on this week. You've got a Labor Day long weekend in South Australia. Yeah, any excuse for a long weekend over here, and trust me, Pete, we'll take it. Well, thanks very much for joining us. We look forward to your company next week to preview round four of the Sandford Women's Competition when we return from the break. Thank you very much, Peter. Still to come on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, we've got our cited question of the week and Coach Kiwi's back with a kiss of death. Been playing for a while, sweet kicks, because footy makes you smile. Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. Cited.co. You got any more questions?
question of the week. We're now at the halfway point of yet another short AFL women's season. And at only four games in, the potential favourites to win the AFLW League Best and Fairest are starting to stand out from the rest of the pack. In the first two weeks of the season, Collingwood's Jamie Lambert got off to a blistering start, carrying on from her exceptional 2019 VFLW season. However, despite being a heavy favourite to take out the VFLW's top honour, she did not fare well in the umpire's votes. Leaving aside Victorian bias for a moment, Anne Hatchard was a ball magnet for the Crows in Game 1 of the season. But with Adelaide's patchy form and the return of Erin Phillips, will there be enough three-vote games for her? After being plagued by injuries in the early years of AFLW, Fremantle's Kiara Bowers has finally showcased her elite football on the national stage. But after the Dockers scare on the road against St Kilda, plus some tough games ahead, can she score enough votes in the back half of the season? Then we have Emma Carney. The Kangaroos captain was awarded the AFLW's top honour back in 2018 when playing in the Bulldogs' premiership side. Again, she's racking up stats in the midfield week after week. And although some may argue that Jasmine Garner has been the Kangaroos' number one star at the halfway point, Carney has one big advantage, being a previous winner. In Australian football, when it comes to an award decided by the umpires, previous winners always poll well in future years. The benefit of incumbency, if you will. With some big wins so far, and their only loss by just two points, Carney could already be in or just shy of double digits in the votes. And with the Kangaroos starting to ramp up for some finals action, some even better football from the Kangaroos captain and more umpires' votes seems a certainty. Is Emma Carney on track to win her second AFLW League Best and Fairest? Vote now at WARFradio.com. And now joining us here at the Women's Australian Girls Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, it is Lisa Raper, better known as Coach Kiwi for her regular segment, Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death, brought to you by the Sweet Kicks Football Academy. Coach Kiwi, how are you? Hello, hello. Yes, I'm going really well, thank you. How is everyone? Well, you're going okay. Five out of seven last week, just missing out on the Pies and the Crows, the Ds and, of course, the Blues winning those respective matches. Yes, um, Pies have been... Um, someone, someone's taking down the Magpies uh, something violently last week. Um, and then, yeah, something about the... Uh, There's some bird food going around, I'm sure of it. The Crows weren't as healthy as I was hoping they'd be. Well, let's have a look ahead to round five. We're going to get your tips, and there's some interesting matches uh, coming up. Uh, first of all, we're going to begin on Friday night, and we're heading up to the Great Barrier Reef Stadium in Mackay, of all places. It is a Conference A battle. It's the Suns versus the Cats. This is fifth versus sixth. If the Suns win, they keep their hopes alive for the finals. The Cats, this is really the last chance saloon. To be any chance of sneaking into the top three, they've got to win. If they lose, season cup put. Yes, yes, this is the round of travel, I feel. Um, and, you know, this match going all the way to Mackay, how exciting. It's probably some uncharted waters up there in, in sort of understanding how um, or what kind of supporter... Um, numbers the Gold Coast are going to get because they get a huge crowd at home. So, um, so this will be interesting. Kind of feels like both teams are on the road because quite, kind of quite a travel from the Gold Coast. Um, obviously not as far from Geelong, but um, 
Geelong kicked a few goals last week. They're coming into some really good form. Uh, they'll be missing Jordan Ivy, who's um, out for a week. Um, but I think no other real injuries in the Geelong team. But um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Gold Coast, and I'm going to give them seven points. So you're going for the Gold Coast by seven points. As we said, Geelong had that big win by 22 points uh, against uh, Richmond at the QEO in Bendigo. Um, Coming off that uh, game, some excellent performances by Purcell, Rocky Cranston, Phoebe McWilliams doing well up forward. Uh, Cranston actually also chipped in with two goals as well. Uh, Meg Mack, great to see her find a bit of form as well. Um, they will be missing Higgins, though, with a wrist injury for uh, Geelong. For the Gold Coast, that's, is it, is it, it's an unusual thing, isn't it, for them? They're having respectable losses. They'll be frustrated by it because they would want to be turning those into wins. But, geez, you know, for a first-year side... They're performing very well. They they haven't been blown out. No, and you know I went to that game at Arden Street, and I'm pretty sure they got the first score. But they were just they always looked like they were still in with a chance in that game. And North Melbourne, they they play some very very tidy football. And um, you know, coming against this Geelong team now. Previously, I said Geelong just don't kick enough goals, and then on the weekend they went and banged in ten. I think that it was at eight or nine different scores they had, which is something pretty unique in the team. So also hard to defend on. But at the other side of it, Richmond have probably struggled to score goals, managed to kick seven against Geelong. So um, a high-scoring game. And I just think that perhaps the Gold Coast have come off a tighter game and playing a bit tighter football. That That's why I think Gold Coast are going to have the run over Geelong. Informed for Gold Coast, Stanton, Yorston, uh, RNs, uh, Bella and Howworth. And interesting to mention the name Stanton and RNs. Stanton, of course, played last year for North Melbourne. Um, so did well, obviously, at Arden Street. And Lauren RNs uh, played a year at uh, Melbourne University, who were training at Arden Street Oval. So a little bit of uh, home ground advantage for them. But yes, you said the Gold Coast would win that one. Let's move ahead, shall we, to uh, the second game for the round. It's on Saturday at North Hobart. Oval. It's the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos versus the Adelaide Crows. This is second versus third. If North Melbourne Tasmania win this, they're almost certain of finals with their strong uh, percentage. For the Adelaide Crows, they win this. They'll probably stay third due to percentage, but um, it, it keeps away GWS who are breathing down their neck. If Adelaide lose this, there's the potential to drop out of the top three and then set up a do-or-die game against GWS the following week. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. And um, this match last year was all the way out at uh, Werribee, Avalon Oval. And that set up for a cracking game then. And I think for the most people who weren't, you weren't sure who was going to get the upper hand. And throughout the game, it was even. It was, you know, two of the best teams in the comp at the time and playing some high-quality football. And then it was all of a sudden, I think, in the third quarter, Adelaide went, you know what? We're cruising in second gear. Let's go up a bit. And they just turned it on and belted in a few. I feel this year, North Melbourne are going to look at that and look at the way they're playing and that strength and the quality football. And they're going to go back to Adelaide. I know it's because they're going to go back and take this game to Adelaide and say, you know what, you better on a home game last year, you're not going to do it this year. 
that's my theory into this game. Coming into this game, the uh, better players for the Crows were Hatchard, Marinoff, Mules, and of course, one Erin Phillips. Great to have her back. But on the side for the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos, best on ground, Emma Carney, uh, Jazz Garner, Ali Gavalis, uh, Kay Gillespie-Jones, Sophie Abertangelo. Let me pose this question to you before I actually ask for your tip from this game. <laughs> and I said it during our cited question of the week this week, Emma Carney. Is she the favourite to win the AFLW League Best and Ferris and take home her second League Best and Ferris? Because as they say, incumbency is an advantage. She's a previous winner that stays in the umpire's minds. And North Melbourne have been going very well this season with only one loss by two points. Oh, you know, certainly she's in with the chance. It would probably just then depend if Jenna Bruton or any of the other midfielders there are taking points away from her. Generally, it becomes the case. Um, and because North Melbourne are full of stars, um, the flip side of that is Kiara Bowers, I think, is probably taking all the points for um, Fremantle at the moment. She's um, going pretty good over that side. So that's probably the biggest competition. So the Kangaroos versus the Crows, who wins and by how much? Yeah, it's exciting to see Erin back, and I'm certain um, back for her second game, she's going to be stronger and probably have a little bit more influence. But I just feel around the field, North Melbourne have got, um, I think they've just got Adelaide wrapped up. And uh, I'm going to go North Melbourne by 12 points. Let's go across to our second Saturday game. It's the GWS Giants versus Richmond. This game being played in Wagga. Now, for Richmond, bottom of the table, um, unless a miracle happens, they win four in a row and by large percentages, uh, have a large percentage. That's not going to happen. Percentage is 45.1. No wins. Richmond aren't going to make finals. GWS... They need to catch up some percentage on the Adelaide Crows. They're only behind them by 18 percentage points from that third spot. This is a crucial game for GWS, not only to get the win, but to get percentage to leapfrog the Crows before going into next week's showdown. Yeah, this is... Um, on the way these two teams played last weekend, I could have had a pre-kind of pick who I thought was going to win. And then after last week, I may have changed my... Uh, I don't know. I feel if Richmond were going to win a game, it's going to be this game. I just feel they've come off playing, um, you know, some pretty handy football and scoring. For them, you know, getting getting the big score was crucial last weekend just to show what they can do. And Mon Conti was outstanding in her... Just her delivery and her composure when she gets hold of that football... Um, you know, I just think GWS are just playing some really ratty football. It's it's not to their advantage. They've got some quality forwards that feed into that forward 50 isn't really good quality. You know, Privatelli, she'll pull out a great mark here and there, but she's not really getting set up terribly well. Um, and I thought they got exposed at the back a little bit with their speed in the weekend as well. Um, so, yeah, this is a tricky one. 
Let's have a look as we come into this game, uh, some of the better players for GWS after their loss by uh, 28 points uh, to the Brisbane Lions. Uh, better performances by Zarika, Bennett, Barr and Beeson. Uh, for the Tigers, uh, their standout performers were Conti, Wakefield, Monaghan, Molan, Campbell and Brennan. The question is, at time of recording, will Brennan be right to go due to the head and neck injury that she suffered in that game against Geelong? Yeah, there's been uh, no word on how she's going. So uh, hopefully she will be okay to back up. Um, and, you know, the flip side of that is also at least Parker spent quite a bit of time off the field um, due to a bit of a cheap hit from behind um, from Wishner as she's going to the bench. So, yeah, I know a couple of influential players that um, both teams need. Uh, at least came back on, so I'd be pretty certain she'd play. Um Brennan, you know, she's, I think, important as, as a character in the team. If she didn't play, they'd probably get away with it. I think the way Conti's playing, um, Wakefield, she's getting in some awesome goals. He just gets herself in some really good positions. And then Monaghan's just owning that back line for Richmond. Um, so, you know, she's kind of had to, but she's, she's doing a pretty good job marshalling the troops down there. It's... Um, yeah, you know, part of me wants to tip Richmond. <laughs> and it might go against what everyone said, and even I think I might still they'll struggle for a win. But I don't know, GWS, when they've travelled out of Sydney before to their home games in Melbourne and Canberra, they've actually done really, really well. Uh, I'm going to go GWS by three. So the three Giants points. by three points. Let's go to the final of the Saturday matches. It is the night game at Icon Park. It is Carlton versus St Kilda. Both sides in Conference B. If the Saints are to keep their finals hopes alive, they must win this game for a couple of reasons. One, it would then make it a one-win gap between them and Carlton. Two, if they would lose to Carlton, all of a sudden, you know, they're they're really a long shot then at making the finals because they've got to catch up about three wins and they've got to make up the percentage. So at this point, St Kilda must beat Carlton to stay alive in the finals race. Carlton coming off that great win against uh, Adelaide, um, getting a little bit of revenge for the grand final last year. St Kilda, what a heartbreaker for them against Fremantle. Boy, it would have been a different story we would have been talking about today if they had knocked off the Dockers. Yeah, and boy, didn't they get really close? Um, you know, you you feel for that, that the the you know that last fifty that was given in the game, but throughout the game it was so close. I think it, I think the score at the end of the first quarter was one point to two or something. It was that close of a game and defensive pressure all around. Um, it was really quite exciting to watch. And, you know, for some of those AFLM um, sort of fans who like to see high-scoring games, this game would not have interested them at all. It was just not done on the scoreboard. It was done by sheer determination, the quality in the tackles. Um, there was some good passing that went on, but just that pressure around the ground and able to move the ball to um, try and change to wings and then come against another, you know, solid wall of defence. It was just, you know, a terrific game. And um, the energy, you know, those girls must have slept for days after that, the, the way that they played. Um, and I think for, for Pete Searle's team, I think it just showed she is really coaching a team of good players. She's not coaching one or two individuals. 
um, she's just coaching a really, really solid team. So they all get a chance throughout the game to bring something, you know, some little bit of brilliance, whether it's an inside step and then a long ball through, um, you know, the last point at the end to just break the, the deadlock. Just little key things throughout the game is, um, you know, those one percenters that you, it's hard to coach and players, but she's managing to get it out of not one or two, but a whole piece of the players able to just lift that little bit and bring it. Um, so, yeah, they, you know, they did extremely well. They will certainly be disappointed, and I'm certain they'll come out this sad day with that little bit of extra fire in their belly. Uh, me missing um, Tani White and Kate Tati too. Is, is they're, they're, most of look at it and say they're big losses, but I just think the way Pete coaches the team is, yeah, they're important players, but I'm sure she's got some backup plan and backup structure that you won't notice that they're missing. She can overcome it by, you know, that saying, they're not a team of champions, they're a champion team. So um, I think that's what we'll see on Saturday night. While we are streaming the grand final of the Northern Territory, match as well. <laughs> Which is on at the same time, of course, between uh, Waratah and Southern Districts. Um, the better players for the Saints coming out of that game, Olivia Vesely, Alison Drennan, Rhee Watt, Rosie Dillon, uh, the G-Train, Caitlin Greiser, and Tilly Lucas-Rod. Uh, for Carlton, uh, their better players coming into the game, Maddie Press-Sparker, Charlotte Wilson, Grace Egan, uh, Taylor Harris, Mua Lalofi, and Darcy Vesio. Vesio looking a lot better playing further up the ground. Um, I've, I've just got a feeling this is going to be Carlton with a comfortable victory. Uh, as much as St Kilda are improving, you've just got a feeling after Carlton beat Adelaide, that's their big confidence booster. Injury-free, the train's going to keep rolling on here for the Blues. Yeah, I feel, you know, after what they did against Adelaide, I think their confidence is going to be on another level. They're playing at home. You know, Taylor, she's given a bit of space in the weekend and she really exploited that. And, and you can see around the field the other bit she contributes. And, you know, perhaps the defenders may have taken a note out of Stacker's playbook how to play on her, but um, they, they just didn't. They just gave her too much room. She was just getting all over the field. She, was, she wasn't scoring the goal. She got a couple of good ones. She had a couple of other set shots she missed. She's still contributing. And, and linking up with Darcy, seeing, you know, Darcy just contributing in other ways, you know, other than the scoreboard is, is fantastic. And, you know, the goal that she got in, you know, how she kicked the ball in while being in the air is, is just something else. It's something, you know, there's very few players with that level of ability to, to, your, uh, to you know, get those goals of greatness, goals that you're going to watch over and over and over again. And, um, you know, it's just good to see. I just think uh, Carlton will have the edge and being at home, They've um, hopefully get a good crowd being a Saturday night game. But, yeah, I'm going to go Carlton by three goals. Let's look ahead to Sunday football. We head off to Morwell for Collingwood versus the Western Bulldogs. This is a Conference B battle. This is fourth versus fifth. Bulldogs uh, with a weaker percentage by about a good uh, 32 percentage points against Collingwood. Uh, the Doggies really need to win this to keep their finals hopes alive. They've got a very tough run home. They're a side I'm scratching my head about. I, I honestly picked them to make the finals this year, even though they lost some players uh, to other clubs. I thought they recruited well. Um, Collingwood, on the other hand, they're chugging along nicely, except now they've got a hole in their back line. Ash Brazzle doing her knee absolutely devastating 
for uh, the Collingwood Football Club. Um, coming out of that game uh, against uh, Melbourne where the uh, Pies lost by uh, 20 points, they also lost Ruby Slicer for the rest of the year with a wrist injury. Um, Collingwood's better players, Lambert, Davey, Benici, Rowe and Leighton. Uh, the Bulldogs, that heartbreaker against uh, West Coast, which they uh, just lost by four points. I blame that on a very bad first quarter there by the Bulldogs. Um, their better players coming out of that. Blackburn, Newton, McCarthy, McLeod and Huntington. They've lost too good um, with a knee injury. Um, I'd, I'd say the Western Bulldogs are going to be struggling in this one, both with the injury concerns, but... The doggies, for whatever reason, have not been able to put it together. It's frustrating. It looks like they've got a good side, but something's just not clicking under Berkey. Yeah, something. You're right. Something is just not clicking. And you know, even um, Danny Marshall was fantastic through the VFL season. I know this is a step up, but she just was able to get a hand on the ball and really make a big difference throughout the winter and. I don't see her being as influential amongst the Bulldogs team. So whether he's got her playing in a different way or, you know, his structure is, is really different that they're not quite used to um, compared to what they've been playing through winter. Yeah, there's something that's just not quite clicking down at the Bulldogs. And um, and that's why I sort of tipped against them last week with West Coast. They just thought they're not playing clean enough footy, um, especially to their potential. Because, you know, as you said, they've got good players all around. Um, losing Bonnie is probably a, you know, a worry for them because she's so important in that forward line as well. Um, so they're going to probably rely on their smaller players up there. Having said that, those small players are pretty damn handy and no one's kicking a few goals as well. So, um, so I'm sure they will overcome. Um, and Collingwood, yeah, you know, three devastating injuries last week um, with Georgia Gooley doing her knee at training as well. Yeah. Um, Adding to Ash Brazel and um, and Rubes, so yeah, three three from their little pool of defenders is um, is tough tough to take. But having said that, I just happen to know there are other players that can cover it. Um, you know, it may open up a spot now for Michaelia Roberts to come in, and I've seen her at training. She's she's a little bit of a live wire, and I think she'll be exciting um, if she does get a run. And she'll be hard to mark. She's just one of these little live wire players that's sort of unpredictable and. Um, exciting to watch. Um, but I think, you know, others around the field, Jamie Lambert, Shani, they're just playing some outstanding football that I think collectively Collingwood will be able to um, regroup and overcome, you know, those holes in defence. And I think they will stand up with the Bulldogs. And it's another massive away travelling type game all the way to Morwell. <laughs> but I'm going to go Collingwood by 12. And I'm just concerned about the Bulldogs' smaller forward line that they're trying at the moment. I know they try to hit up McLeod. Um, and McLeod has great forward presence, great pressure, but she's a, she's more a pocket. She's not a leading full forward. And we saw that when she had the chance to win the game and she missed. You could see by her set shot run-up, she's not a set shot specialist. She's more a snap-it-on-the-run type player. And... Uh, the late move of Huntington to the forward line had me scratching my head. Okay, she's playing good down back, but you need goals and you need someone down forward. And 
from when I saw Huntington the first ever time a few years back uh, when she was first playing for the Bulldogs in a practice game against Carlton at Ballarat, I commented at the time, I go, geez, Huntington moves in a way very similar to Katie Brennan. And I go, well, you've got two, you, you've essentially got two KBs now. Considering Katie Brennan has now gone to Richmond, it puzzles me that Huntington is not being used to play the KB role. Yeah, it's um, it is interesting, and maybe that's what he thought he could do with um, with Bonnie because she played a bit in defence mm. last winter as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting to sort of get into his head to see what he's what he's thinking in the way that he's moved these players around. Um, but yeah, McLeod, you know, she she took some outstanding marks, and and certainly the game was there to be won and. Perhaps she's one you want to play more as a kind of live wire inside the 30 so she can snap the goals off rather than having that pressure of the set shot. Um, but she's also could be a good ch- contributor at the top of the 50, sending the ball in, because she has got a nice kick and a good mark on her. Um, yeah, you know, he's got a bit to um, play around with. That's for sure. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, we might see a couple of um, new players come in that haven't had a run yet as well, so... Could be interesting. I, I prefer Lamb a bit further upfield. I think she's um, she's a bit more of a blocker. She's more of a hard winner of the ball. And um, yeah, I don't I don't really think of her as a forward, even though she gets up there and gets the goals. I just think she's more of those one of those hard grind out kind of hard working sort of midfield type players. But um, yeah, it'll it'll depend, I guess, how he sets his team up. It'll be interesting. He could change a few things. I think he's got lots of options. In there to change players around for sure. Let's have a look at the second Sunday game. It's Melbourne versus the West Coast Eagles Conference B battle. The Eagles, after a win against the Bulldogs, are making the very long trip. They're going to Casey <laughs> Fields in Cranbourne to go up against the second-placed Melbourne side. Melbourne looking to almost stamp their final spot if they win this game for the Eagles. Looking to try and put two in a row. I think it's time to cue the Mission Impossible music. <laughs> yeah, it's like if it's, if it's not big enough to travel to Melbourne, let's send them all the way out to Casey as well. Um, they've done a bit of travel West Coast, so they're probably getting well used to it and good team bonding for um, for a new team as well. Um, but yeah, it's a long way to go and probably I'm guessing Casey Fields are going to be a lot more windier than what they're used to Um over in Perth as well. So that'll take a little bit to get used to. Um, and, you know, they're coming off, they're coming off their first win, so they'll, have, they'll be on a little bit of a high. But I think, you know, Melbourne are just... They're just playing some good football with, the, you know, the players that have got left. And, you know, the likes of Daisy's really controlling that half-back line. That midfield just seems to go, go, go. And, um, you know, and now you've got the young players that are stepping up a little bit more around the field with um, demons. It's like they've got... That extra bit of confidence now. They've won some gritty games, and um, you know they're playing playing some good football. So I am going to go demons, and I'm going to go demons by 21 points. Looking at the West Coast Eagles side, uh, better players coming into the game. The Kelly sisters, Neve and Grace Kelly. Great to see them both performing well. Data Hooker, Paris Laurie. Emma Swanson, named best on ground, and I am so happy I put her into my fantasy. Uh, uh, she plays AFLW fantasy team for, for last week because she brought home some points for me. An interesting question about her. We never saw the best of her at the GWS Giants. Now, she was injured in that first year, which we do need to mention. Is it a case of either A, 
homesickness that now that she's back home in WA, she's originally a WA girl, she's just playing better back in her home surroundings? Or is it B, that she just wasn't used properly at the GWS Giants and being under WA coaches, particularly Michelle Cowan there as, as well at the Eagles, is that they're getting better use out of her. They know the style of football that she plays. Yeah, sure. Only could be a bit of that. I think season one, she'd done her ACL before the draft, actually. Um, so missed the season. And then when she came back, I think she injured her elbow. I think she was quite hampered by, you know, injury and just never really, just, yeah, never really looked herself. Not not the potential that she showed in those exhibition games, that's for sure. Uh, I think it was a shoulder, I think, that she did in the first year. It wasn't the ACL. Renee Forth did the ACL with Kiara Bowers in that same game in uh, WA uh, prior to the AFLW. I knew one of them had done their ACL. But she missed most of... Season yeah. one, didn't she? Or did she yeah, yeah. One game, yeah she, she, she missed a fair chunk of season one for the Giants. Yeah. Um, and I think of recent times, I'm pretty sure it's her that's got a little bit of an elbow problem. Um, I'm pretty sure she tapes it up in the games now. But, but anyways, it is good to see her playing really good football. And um, certainly being back around people she's played with, no doubt, in club football before... AFLW, so she'll probably be quite familiar with some of those other players over that side, and certainly they will have their own flavour and their own brand of football that she's probably more comfortable playing. Um, and, you know, back being the captain again, she, she seems to be quite a natural leader as well, so without a doubt, being home makes it easy, and um, and probably being around, you know, teammates she knows a lot better than the ones when she first came over to Giants, for sure, so... Um, it, it is good to see, and um, I'm pretty sure she played a lot of football with Dana Hooker as well. So the two of them, the way they link up in the midfield, is really quite strong. Better players for Melbourne coming into this game, Hanks, uh, Shelley Scott, and, of course, the Darabin trio, Daisy Pearce, Libby Birch, Karen Paxman. <laughs> yeah, and um, Lauren Pearce. Now that she's back, <laughs> that's another Darabin and just makes them so solid in the middle. And, you know, as most people have actually already noticed with uh, LP, yes, she's a ruck, but she can also get down and get the balls below her knees as well. So she becomes like a versatile midfield. And um, that's huge, you know, contributor when she can win the ball in the middle for you. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a solid midfield to break through for sure. And then you've got the other likes of Maddie Gay coming in who steps in there. And um, I think she's been going phenomenally as well. It's pretty hard to break through that midfield. So let's have a look ahead to the final game of the round. It is at Fremantle Oval in WA. The Donkers versus the Brisbane Lions. This is the top of Conference A versus the top of Conference B. The winner will rubber stamp their ticket into the finals. Guarantee cannot be budged from the top three Coming into this game, better players for the Dockers after their nail-biting win against St Kilda uh, were Hayley Miller, Kiara Bowers, the Jet just keeps on going, uh, Grieve, Cara Antonio, Ebony Antonio and Seth for the uh, Brisbane Lions who... um, who I did tip to beat GWS. I didn't know they were going to do it that easily up there at Hickey Park. Uh, their better players coming out of that game were Kathy Spark, 
Jesus, she was sensational. Emily Bates, Jessie Wardlaw, who could be the NAB AFLW rising star this year after a two-goal performance. It looks like certain to be getting All-Australian honours. Maloney, Anderson, Grider. That's saying some names there without saying some of the bigger names when you think of the likes of Emma Zilke and Jess Wuchner, for example. Yeah, I think um, that's exactly what's working in Brisbane's favour as well is that they've got the well-known players and they're doing a really important job. And then these other, um, the younger ones are now starting to step up and, and join in and playing this higher level football. And um, Jesse Wardle, like she's kicking multiple goals each week. Um, and she's got a beautiful set shot on her. Um, and it, it doesn't seem to be much to her, but she can take some really good contested marks. So... Um, she's excited to see in the forward line and probably take some of the pressure away from Wishner now she's back as well so they can swap around key defenders up there as well. Um, but yeah, I think Brisbane, are, you know, I mean, both teams coming into this game undefeated, it's, um, you know, it's kind of a game you wish it was in Melbourne almost so that we could all drive down the road and watch it. But <laughs> it's all the way over at Frio and, um, you know, Trio are pretty much doing the same. The young ones with your Duffy, you know, Roxy Roo had probably a bit of a quiet game last week for her. Certainly now she's had that week, she'll go back to Trio and I'm sure you'll see her feature a lot more as well. Um, and then the Antonios and, um, you know, just too, too many good players around the Trio team too. So I think at home, Trio are going to have the edge on Brisbane. I think... I think it's going to be a good game. I reckon both teams are going to score some some ripper goals. And, um, you know, I don't think this game will be over until probably the last quarter. I reckon that that's probably where we'll get to see Frio maybe put their foot down. Um, not having to have that travel, they should be a bit fresher. And, um, yeah, I think that they'll probably come out about two goal winners. So that is the tips from Coach Kiwi of the Sweet Kicks Football Academy. Her best record so far is six out of seven. We're waiting to top that. Coach Kiwi, thanks very much for your time. And just before we let you go, people can also hear you appear on the Coat Hanger radio show. Uh, Where can they find that as a podcast if they're looking online? Um, You can find it on um, Wisher. How do you say that? Wooshka. 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 Yeah, it has got the K in it. Yeah, Wooshka, Apple. Um, If you follow us on Twitter or Facebook, these you always post the link up, so it saves you searching. Um, But, yeah, it's it's just another place I go and give my two cents worth and um, have a good time with some old mates. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival for yet another week. Don't forget this podcast is now available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and the iHeartRadio website and app, as well as WARFradio.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for WARF Radio. This program debuts every Wednesday evening, 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN Carnival, which is digital radio in Melbourne. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks very much for your company, and it's bye for now.